Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finally letting everyone know what the truth is and then catching all kinds of trouble for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. This week, we are doing one of the big... Forbidden topics in the Bureau 13 game, which is Bureau 13 goes public. The whole purpose of Bureau 13 is it is a covert organization. And all the writing is built around it. But we said, hey, you know, we want to bring the awesome to the game. And sometime you might want to actually do this. So we're going to suggest the possibility that for some reason, and a really, really big reason... The Bureau 13 organization is going to have to go public and let everyone know that they exist and give them at least a decent idea of the scope of its operations. We're not going to go into any great detail over what it is that causes it because it would have to be really, really big. As a matter of fact, Trav, you mentioned it would have to be an Omega-level type event. Yeah, um, it's it's a term I came up with when I was uh, Bureau 13 D20 playtesting a few years back. And it's basically... I'll use same example. Alien fleet invades, demonic invasion, and a bioengineered virus all happen at once. Stuff that the Bureau just cannot hide. You can't just hand wave it away or BS it away and the Bureau says, we come clean and we're going to have to do it in the, you know, by mobilizing our forces to stop it publicly. There's no Jedi mind tricks. These are not the droids you're looking for. No, ma'am, no. Yeah, you can't go and shoot up a, a, a million people full of, of, of amnesia drugs. You can't uh, go back in time and, and stop the one thing that ca- caused it to happen because it multiple factors. You just can't do it. The Bureau only has so much personnel. It's not a gigantic organization. It operates on the basis that it's just-in-time salvation, so to speak. Uh, it, it gets there and, and gets the job done and then disappears and moves on to the next problem. It's kind of like a, a whack-a-mole against the supernatural. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They're not grazing fire versus supernatural. They're more like whack-a-mole against the evil supernatural postulating something really, really big happens. The Bureau hopefully takes care of it or is in the process of taking care of it, and it has to make itself known to the world at large. It almost has happened in a big city someplace. Yeah, because a lot of people would see it. Yeah, yes. And there's a lot of good reasons why the Bureau would go public, because one of the things is that uh, it doesn't trust the government any more than we do. Therefore, it doesn't want to say, hey, you know, U.S. government, we're the Bureau. We just thought we'd like to let you know because then, you know, then that's, that's when, you know, the, the black other black ops show up and start making people disappear. So going public has the advantage of actually protecting 
the agents of Bureau 13 and also creates a situation where they might have some more opportunity to, let's say, do some triage on their own organization as they reveal more and more information about who they are. Yeah. Of course, not everything. Right. Okay, the Bureau goes public, but it doesn't mean it goes 100% public. As in, there are certain parts of the Bureau that they're not going to talk about. They're not going to reveal. Two locations in particular, three locations in particular, I was thinking about. One was Bangor, Maine. Oh, yeah. Obviously. (laughs) Why obviously, Amber? Even with the explosion or the complete decimation or whatever that happened before, when I think of Bangor, Maine, the first thing that comes to my head is it's likely to be top security. I, I envision it being a a concentrated field for education, for protection, collection. Uh, when we discussed it before, we mentioned that it had a very large reliquary underneath it or within it somewhere to store magical, paranormal, supernatural artifacts that should never be used or put in public hands without careful consideration. I kind of feel like a facility that's being used as storage for these items shouldn't ever be revealed. And don't forget, it's also a guest house for a certain guest of the Bureau. So it also could be called Bangor Gitmo. Because unfortunately, there will be American citizens in there who have powers they can't control, and they're being well stored in Bangor, Maine. There's one other way to look at it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they do not reveal the location of Bangor, Maine, then there's no chance that a terrorist group of some kind uh, will get in there and try and free some of the nasties they got in there. Most likely, magic will be made to be known as real, will be the thing that, on, on a large scale, which is why Bangor, uh, Bu- the Bureau most likely would have to out themselves. Well, a terrorist organization could gain access to magic, and try to get into Bangor, Maine to try to free those people. Yeah, that would be really bad. So keeping Bangor, Maine on the down low would be the Bureau's biggest battle after outing themselves because all it would take is one slip of the lip and all of a sudden, what do you mean you have this place where you're keeping American citizens just because they have supernatural abilities that they can't control? Whoa, 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 whoa. Bruce mentioned before we started taping about the last thing we need is a political oversight committee going in, going, no, no, this can't be done, that can't be done, this needs to be changed, this violates this law, and just, that would be... A oh, like yeah. Ghostbusters? Shut down the grid, yeah. Richard Tack, yeah. Right. Of course, all the vampires demanding their, t- their time in court, well, they, they'll, they'll have their day in the sun. But up, up. Because as soon as the Bureau goes public, the government is going to want an accounting. And so every item uh, in the reliquary, every person who is in retirement there, I mean, they're all going to have to be accounted for, touched. You can't just say, well, here's a list of the stuff. That's not going to be good enough for the government. You know they're going to be sending in people to physically put hands-on on a lot of objects that if you, bear, if you even touch them, you're possessed or bad things happen on an epic planetary level. There are literally some things that man was not meant to put his, get anywhere near, and the Bureau has kindly put some of those things away and is going to have to make sure that not everything comes to light. Also, here's something else. When the Bureau is outed, not only all those people, but technology. 
okay, all the stuff that you've amassed over the past 150 years that you're using. Ray Robertson, the Bureau Head of R&D, will have to give a laundry list of all the stuff that they have that they've amassed from IDET, aliens, time travelers, their own experimentation and reverse engineering. He's going to have quite a busy time having to account for, okay, what do we have in possession that, that the U.S. government is holding on to? And this is not only to the U.S. government, but to other governments worldwide, Britain, France, China, Russia, etc. Now, of course, Britain, you know, with the farm, most likely they're going to be outed too. Uh, I believe MI-13 is their official designation. Um, they're going to be outed as well. And so Britain, it's going to end up being a domino, or not a domino, well, yeah, a domino effect. The RNC, R- RCMP 513 will get outed. Many so it may of, not necessarily be Bureau 13 that may be the first to be outed, but they could also just be one of several dominoes being tumbled over. Yeah, it just depends on how closely those agencies work with their governments or not work with their governments. In fact, several, several are listed are listed as government agencies, so they may get outed. The private ones might be able to get away with it. The bureau's got magic weapons, you know, and, and and magic things like the the what are the goggles that they have? The Corlean glasses. There you go, Corlean glasses. All right, so you think that 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 wouldn't have any over overlap with the military, but what if say some rogue country starts using I don't know some kind of supernatural being in a military type force, and now the U.S. Army is like, hey, you know, we need to get some of those Corlean glasses so we can see these things. Uh, it's national security, so we're going to um, we're going to secure these. You know, we're going we're we're going to come in and take them because we, we need those. That that's the kind of stuff that could get really muddy and you could run into. If they really work on the Korean technology, because Korean technology, as it is right now, it's been developed for you know going into a building and looking for things and looking for ores and so forth. Someone will make the smart connection and say, "Hey, can you see stealth aircraft for that thing?" Yeah. Sure, sure, but I, I mean, I guess the, the, the I guess the, the the point I was trying trying to get to is it's not even just that. I mean, it's any of that yeah. stuff. You know, it's like the military might determine that hey, this is a great weapon we can use on the enemy and save soldiers' lives, and it's like, uh, you know how. Where is the government going to have, you know, or where is the bureau going to be able to draw the line with them? So yeah, you're right. They're definitely going to have to be quiet about a lot of the stuff they do. Would the DoD decide to start recruiting battle mages? <laughs> right, right. And and I mean, and that's where I really think that when it does happen, you're going to have, you know, you're probably going to have a whole department that plays the uh, obfuscate game with the government, like. Their job is to muddy up all the information. They're literally going to be cover-up agents trying so to. So it'll like, just be your average standard politics. Use as many <laughs> words as you can to not say anything. Right. Yeah. They will have neat toys to hand out. I mean, that's going to be a given. They'll have neat toys to hand out. And every so often, in their wisdom, they'll hand out the next neat toy. Yeah. It'll come to light that half the patents for for technology is owned are owned by the bureau through shell companies. You know, that's how they make their money. <laughs> one of the ways. Yeah, one of the ways. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that 3M is a division of uh, the Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> it would be good because that would protect the Bureau from being made a government agency because that would be fascism. Yeah. Yep. You can't seize control of private assets. 
Okay, but the uh, the second location I think that the Bureau would want to definitely hide would be the island. Oh, God, yes. Oh, no, no, you don't want that going public. And for our listeners who don't know what the island is, that's the place where they put all the rogue Bureau 13 agents. And retired agents and... And high-level demons that couldn't be sent back to hell and other types, super, super creatures. They would be sent to Banger, Maine. Definitely the island is, is for retired Bureau 13 agents, retired as in with, you know, because they're bad, because they went rogue. Yeah. So what is this? Is this the Bureau or the magical version of uh, the prisoner? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Basically a, a island in the, like, the North Atlantic, and it's sort of pocket dimension, kind of, where, I mean, it could be in the middle of a storm, and the island always has perfect weather. It's sort of protected in that way, and it's, it's a rest home, essentially. There's a, a third location, which is actually linked to another location, and that is... Bureau 13's moon base. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. That was revealed in the Aliens Among Us supplement by Outpost Games. There is a big base on the far side of the moon with an orbiting satellite that orbits just above the surface of the moon so that it has a full view of Earth. Um, it, it is linked uh, to an island in the Pacific where they do a lot of research. It is also one of the locations where the Vindicators, one of Bureau 13's X-Teams, is located. has all the magical power armor. Ah, okay. And you can't miss the moon base. It's right next to the big swastika building on the moon. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh. Yeah, they have a bowling league. Yeah. <laughs> Very long lanes. Really? <laughs> Can you not? Uh, all stories are true. Yeah. Uh, well, all stories can be true. doesn't mean they all are in everyone's campaign. And it certainly doesn't mean that they should be true. <laughs> right. Right. And a lot of Bureau 13's heavy weaponry is actually located in that moon base because it's used to, to basically stop alien incursion. See, the men in black, their job is to stop alien incursion that actually makes it to Earth. But the Bureau pretty much takes care of the alien incursions that are coming in. Well, didn't have it easy for a while, though, because the Sentinel was in space until 1945. 45. Right. This was definitely built after that time period. I see those as being locations that you definitely don't want. The United States, besides which, it's outside of United States continental waters anyways. So therefore, it's not under its jurisdiction anyways. Basically, right now, you're describing why the Bureau is a large NGO that's a bit a bit like a research institute and a bit like Blackwater. Okay, NGO, please elaborate on Oh, uh, a non-governmental or- organization. Okay. All right. Okay. Are there any other places you think would definitely be excluded from public revelation? No, I think that would be it. The I, I was not aware of the moon base. I It's been a long time since I've read the Aliens Among Us, but the other two, the island and Bangor, Maine, oh God, yeah, they need to be kept out of the public light. Going back to what you were talking about, Trav, as far as the revealing of the technology, there's already a conduit in place. According to Bureau 13 Extreme, the Bureau has contracted with the Greys, aliens, to do that. Their job is a mainstream technology from Bureau 13. Oh, okay. So, which, of course, means that the Greys are probably going to be outed as well. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they figure there it's going to be known, oh, yeah, aliens exist. Well, then right. that means all these people who have suffered through alien abductions are going to be going, in your face, I told you I was right. You know. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, if you look at Bureau 13 Extreme and you look at the list of aliens, it'd be like, no, no, it wasn't us. It was the red aliens. It was the Martians or it was it was the uh, reptiloids. God yeah. bless the cactus people. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> us, you know. Uh, Anyways, uh, um, I'm sure that th this would be a huge public media blitz. I mean, this would just be everywhere. Bureau has a lot of friends in media and stuff like that, so I'm sure that they would you know, do their very best to put it on a good face. But yeah, it's the people are going to be very polarized about this. They're going to find out that their next door neighbor could be a supernatural creature. And that's going to cause a lot of hysteria. Mm -hmm. I think from a illegal standpoint, this could also end up in worldwide legal disputes. I, I mean, with vampires and with ghosts and other supernaturals, you would start looking at, are they considered human and worthy of the rights that we give ourselves? Considering what we have done in the past and are doing currently with the slavery and acknowledging African Americans as equals and the current fight for homosexuality on if that's equal or not, are we going to look at this new discovery in a negative light? Well, are, are the people going to reject this discovery with hostile intention? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you know that there's going to be a, a new civil rights battle because all oh, vampires, you know, were humans too that were just changed and uh, ghosts are dead humans. You're dead. I mean, both of them are dead. No, they're suffering from partially deceased syndrome. Or lycanthropes. Oh, you're humans who've been infected with a disease and... You're still human and all that. So it's like, yeah. It's like, so yeah, is lycanthropy like, considered a disability since it's an infection? Well, it depends. Or if you're are they acknowledged the, as an independent species? Well, it, it depends whether you're talking about the curse version of, uh, of, the, of ly ly lycanthropy. You're talking about the infectious disease version of lycanthropy. You're talking about the species, different species of lycanthropes, of shapeshifters. If you take a person off the street... At a glance, are they going to know or care about the difference? I'm sure everyone's going to be very, very paranoid for a while. And that's where it's going to be important for the Bureau to come public about saying, look, these are people who have helped us and done heroic acts. There's going to be a lot of hero stories about this type of supernatural and that type of supernatural about, you know, where people have stood up against the tide of evil and lost their lives and they were supernaturals, but they did it for you and me, Ma and Pa, you know, America. Fighting against the stereotypes. Their poster boy for good vampires would be Dr. Gladstone. Right. Well, assuming the Dr. Gladstone even wants to go public like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be a real nightmare and the Bureau is going to have to be very, very careful because it doesn't want the thing that it's always been afraid of, which is the public is going to become aware of the supernatural. It's immediately going to go and start disturbing the supernatural and causing ecological holocaust because, uh, as we said, a lot of the supernatural are linked closely to the health of the world. And by eliminating the supernatural utterly, it's a really good recipe for ecological disaster. 
a lot of physicists would start me sitting there studying slack-jawed going, so, there's another force in the world, magic. That makes a lot of things make sense now. So suddenly you, you could probably see a blooming of new technology showing up because they realize there's Einsteinian laws, there's quantum physics, and there's thaumagery. We put the three of them together, we can do stuff. Technomagic, basically. And for D20, as I said, the old perpetrated press arsenal and factory would come in in breathtakingly wonderful capacity. Yeah, having fire-shooting Uzis and power armor and mecha and vehicles and computers and communications. Oh, yeah, Technomagic would open all... Because the way I have it in my campaign, the way I explain how magic works, you're affecting the universe on a sub-quantum level. That's all that magic is. And the verbal and somatic and material components are all crutches. They're all just to help you sidestep the natural laws to achieve these new effects, such as invisibility or fireball or even raising the dead. So that's all it is. It would open whole new scientific avenues Mm -hmm. for, for everyone. All right, so we don't want to try to give you the say this is all the stuff that's happening with the Bureau because, frankly, whichever campaign you run, when you do it, you're going to do it differently. The GM is always going to have his own flavor of this. So what I thought we'd do instead is I thought we'd concentrate on just going through the friends, enemies, and in-betweens that are in the Bureau 13 book and its supplements and talk about what we think would be their reaction and what would be you know, their disposition. How would they interact with the American public, with the Bureau, post-revelation, anything that might be pertinent to their own little microcosm of the Bureau 13 uh, revelation? And or whether or not they actually do get outed themselves. They may not. Yeah, so... We're going to go through the Bureau 13D20 list, that being the most recent? Yes. And we're going to add some others that we've talked about on the podcast too later on. So, Right. I think the easiest way for everyone to stay on the same page, literally, is for us to uh, just go through the list from top to bottom. Yeah, so the first one is Harv Becker. Right. Harv has a problem, and that is that he is a ghost, and he doesn't actually speak. He makes a lot of signs. He might hold up a, a notepad, but really he peers in mirrors and other kinds of surfaces. So he's not going to be able to be a, a really effective communicator unless someone brings in somebody who can read lips, in which case then Harv can really start getting uh, some, some traction. Or a medium who can actually talk to ghosts and then they can communicate with them directly. Right, but considering the fact that there's a lot more people who could do lip reading than our mediums, yeah, you know, I figured that Harv would start appearing on Nightline. He'd be trying to accuse the members of the Windwell of COVID of his murder. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. That's how he got to be a ghost. He was killed by the Windwell of COVID on a mission. And though he's been helping out the Bureau agents, I have a feeling that he's never quite, his unfinished business is that he's never quite resolved the fact that he's, you know, he was killed by the Windwell of COVID and they've never been successful at stamping them out. Yeah. And then there's his girlfriend, Emily. Yeah. Which, of course, is Emily Dickinson, the famous poet. Ah, yes. 
Now he appears to reflect the surfaces. So on a, something like Nightline on those screens where they usually do the green screen, all of a sudden there's Harv and there's Emily. <laughs> but once people realize it actually is Emily Dickinson, I'm sure it's going to really cause uh, her estate to soar because somebody's going to come up with the idea of uh, publishing a new edition of her poetry uh, collections with pictures of her as a ghost and therefore making it able to be copywritten again because she's way outside of copyright otherwise. Yeah, she's uh, probably public domain by now. But not, but not if you make a new edition. Who's going to own the copyright? Not her. She's a dead person. Her estate. Someone won't, it, but she won't. She won't be a benefit, but then again, she's a ghost. She doesn't need anything other than to figure out why she hasn't gone over yet. Well, we don't know. We don't know what her interests are now that she's a ghost. I mean, she likes hanging around with Harv, obviously, but uh, you know, she might have an agenda. We don't know. But you know what would be really interesting is that she would be able to give her reflections on all of her writings now that she's in another way of life. All you got to do is hold the books up of all the critiques of her poems, and she'll have a few things to say to those people who wrote those critiques. <laughs> she may even pull a couple of men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they died hundreds of years ago. It's just that this idiot... You know, who wasn't even alive when I wrote my poems. Okay. Seems to think he knows all about it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, writers I'm sure would love to be able to have the last word on the critics who came after their death. Well, either that or she might say something like, you know where I wrote about such and such? It's all tripe. Now that I look back on the afterlife and look back on life, I don't feel that way anymore. All right, all right. Or this poem you all love, I just dash it off to get to get paid. <laughs> You're sounding more like Oscar Wilde. <laughs> all right, let's moving on to I think one of Trav's uh, and, and John's favorite characters, Mike Bonkowski, agent of OSHA. The bureau needed OSHA over his oversight because there's you're getting a lot of accidents. The story behind this is I talked to Mike and I was asking him about this. What, what you know? How would you deal with a black project? He said, "Well, he gave me the entire procedure. They would actually put a request out, then the OSHA would send it, send an agent. He had to you know make sure he can pass the security and all that stuff. Can you pass? Could you could you pass top secret?" He said, "Yeah." Okay, hey, Mike, you want, want to be a character? <laughs> and I made Mike Bunkowski, agent of OSHA. I could see him, like, coming in the room and holding on his OSHA badge, you know, I'm with OSHA. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, great, really scary. He is a government agent. I mean, he works for OSHA. Uh, that's who pay- writes his paychecks, not the Bureau. He files paperwork. It's all been redacted, heavily redacted in some cases, but he still files paperwork. On everything that goes on. So, in many cases, he's okay. He's in a black program, and he happens to know a lot about it. Now, he may be one of the people called on to a Senate Senate, uh, Oversight Committee about his actions, but still, he's not going to suffer from it. Now, what's going to happen? He is going to suffer, but he's going to suffer from overwork. Because once the Bureau goes public, and they find out that Mike uh, Bonkowski actually is doing oversight of the Bureau projects and and the Bureau facilities, then he is going to be put in charge of a whole team of OSHA inspectors who are going to have to be trained on why you don't look at certain creatures and what kind of eyewear you have to wear there for and what does the black goo from the pits of hell do to polyester. 
it might be OSHA that comes along and starts putting things into the manual. They have to follow or else they really get in trouble that the Bureau kind of never really had that kind of meticulous control over. It's like, oh, you're fighting a type one specter. You're not wearing your such and such glasses. And it's like, what? It's like, well, the Bureau said that we might need it for this. Oh, no, no. It's a requirement. It says right here, Section 4231, Regulation 53, cannot send an agent in during blah, 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 manifestation without glasses. Actually, I can see him actually writing up the manual for the Bane Kid. Things not to mix together in your Bane Kid. Well, no, I see Bronkowski. He would want to follow the rules, not so much out of being a nitpicker, but considering he would have to research this stuff and he would have to get into, you know, and just read and read and read. I mean, he may end up having to read like old magical texts and alien manuals and stuff and realize, no, I'm not going to be a nitpicker, but trust me, you want to have this on. Right. So that's why he's going to need a bigger team. So he's going to find himself over a huge you know, team and possibly a, a whole training program bringing competent supernatural OSHA inspectors. He, he, may, he may actually stop being a field agent and start and actually become a, a director of supernatural operations for OSHA. That's exactly what I think would happen. If the Bureau had to out themselves, the event would have to be so big that Mike couldn't cover it all by himself. He'd have to have a, a subordinates to work for him. And he'd just say, okay, you go to this part of the country, you go over here, you three head to New York, you go to Detroit. He'd have to have underlings. Could he, like, fine agents for not using their protective gear? Yes. <laughs> John, you're a technical writer, so you may have had to do this. Blix, with your job, I'm sure you have to deal with this. And me working for um, an auto parts warehouse, I have to deal with this daily, especially since I deal with armor all and chemicals and whatnot. I would hate to see the MSDS for the stuff that they got to use <laughs> for OSHA. Oh, no. See, Blix is laughing. He knows what I'm doing. <laughs> MS well, actually, MSDS. Material safety data sheets, Pip. Okay, let's say battery acid for, you know, battery acid for automobiles. It uh -huh. tells you how corrosive it is. The uh -huh. chemical composition, cleanup procedures, first oh, aid okay. procedures, all of that. And a lot of this because, as the, I said. In case you screw up, manual. I work for Napa, the Detroit Distribution but, Center. So, right. yeah, we have thick binders full of all the chemicals. And guess what? A lot of them I probably absorbed through my skin over the past 20 years. We have a lot of stuff that we have to cover. Oh, we have to call OSHA on you. I'm sure that some of that has already been covered. I mean, they are running a you know an ongoing shop, so I'm sure that the, you know they've done some of that, especially something like that. You know, where you run into something, they want to be able to identify it. They want to know how to handle it. You don't want your text to be dying right and left. There aren't that many of them. That would be a heck of a read. What toad liver? What no. <laughs> All this supernatural stuff. Yeah, basilisk blood. Yeah. Oh, God. Dr dragon spit. Well, let, let's take that to another level. I know with, with the Army, everything has what they call an NSN number. If you're in the field and you need a part for something, you can say, well, here's the NSN number for it, and you can order it from you know from the Army. That's how they know where to get the tires for their, for their Humvees and stuff. 
So I can imagine they, they would have some kind of database. Now, that's the Army's database, uh, and it may extend beyond other branches. I don't know. I work for the Army, so maybe it's the Marines do the same thing. I'm not really sure. But uh, I could see them having you know some kind of mystical database number. I need some wolves, Bane. Well, what kind? Well, I don't know. Well, what's your, your magic index number? Oh, it's a 4361. Oh, 4361. See, now if you use 4362, that's for a silverback werewolf, and that won't work the same, you know? So, yeah, I could see them having a database of these things with very particular numbers uh, assigned to them for specific things. Yeah, because only the Bureau would have something where the color of the petals can completely change the properties of a plant. Sure. All right, moving along, uh, Dr. Jordan Clamison. He's a oceanographer or aquatics expert up on the Great Lakes. He is big into research in the depths. When I was reading his profile, it kind of struck a bit, a bit of a chord with me. Uh, like you said, with the um, zoologists and herbologists and whatever all going, a place where I belong! I kind of look at this guy and I, I, I don't feel like he would have as much excitement per se. But I think he might look at it as something that could be opportunistic. As his profile says, he's rumored to be building an underwater habitat. So I kind of see that as an opportunity where the Bureau might utilize him and his facility, his uh, habitat, as a means of both displaying, protecting, uh, possibly fostering any aquatic animals that would need supervision and care and protection. So he might look at that as a way of getting the Bureau's protection even more so because his facility would be used by the Bureau. And at the same time, if the Bureau is being made public, it could also be used as kind of a, an exhibit to show people these creatures and then teach them. I mean, he seems very sincere, very intelligent. I, I see him as the kind of person who really enjoy sharing this kind of knowledge because it, it, it is his passion. Oh, yeah. I saw him as kind of going public with a big Kickstarter. Huh. <laughs> he is a, a cryptobiologist getting a lot more money for doing more expeditions. And over in this corner, we have a baby Loch Ness monster. Well, he, he is a freshwater biologist, which means you'll go to Loch Ness and find Nessie finally. Oh, no, they're, the Great Lakes and all that and all the freshwater lakes in the United States. Yeah, Lake Champlain, that's not a great lake, despite what they want to do. But he probably knows about he probably knows who where Champ is, though. Oh, that's right. There's sort of a, a cryptozoological legend about Lake Champlain. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I, I remember hearing about that vaguely. And don't forget about Chessie. Yeah, yeah, Chessie. Chesapeake Bay, I take it. No, that's saltwater. That's been out of his out of his area. But you know, he you might be willing to learn. It's kind of brackish in a way, isn't it? A lot of freshwater feeds into it, so maybe overlap. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're starting to Chesapeake Bay would start to become a little freshwater after a while. Yeah. He's based in Santee, Ohio, which means he might actually know about the Zug Island uh, mermaid. Okay. Well, anyways, Clamison, he would want to let people know about what's going on and be more than happy to educate. Because remember, we humans have a nasty tendency to fear what we don't understand. He would be more than willing to sit people down, maybe go on the talk circuit and go, okay, 
in my years of exploration of the Great Lakes before the big revelation, which they'd probably call it the revelation with a capital R, that the supernatural exists. These are the things I have found with the help of the American Bureau 13. A, B, C, D, E, these are all the creatures, these are pictures, dietary habits, whatnot. He would become a celebrity in that regard as far as his knowledge of freshwater cryptozoology. And especially he might want to have a, a lecture series where he could, again, raise money for his expeditions and his work. And I'd say there's that one little throwaway line at the very end of his description, teaching poker to dolphins for unknown reasons. And he'd say, why are you teaching me poker? Well, they're, they're great conversationalists. Everyone at that point will go, wait, well, what, you're having conversations with dolphins? Yes. And all of a sudden, the dolphins are a sentient race. The deserve rights group will go, see? <laughs> yeah. Yes, but they're not American citizens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Amber, how do you know I speak dolphin? <laughs> how do you know his name's story again? I speak baby. <laughs> no, it's not. His name is Susan, and he wants you to respect his life respect choices. his life choices. <laughs> Best uh, line in that whole episode. Moving on to Alphonse Garcia. I think that Garcia would be 100% not okay with the Bureau going public. Okay, but what does that mean? What would he do? I think that he would go further into hiding than he already is. I mean, the impression that I get from his character sheet is he doesn't like working with the Bureau as it is. I'm not exactly sure why he's a friend. It kind of seems more like he's a resource that the Bureau taps into when they need him. Yeah, street-level informant on the Chicago underworld who just happens to have minor psi abilities. Right. Yeah, and, the, and the reason why he, the, he needs the Bureau is because they give him the, the, his anti-psi drug. Right. right. But once the Bureau goes public, that anti-psi drug could very well be available as a normally prescribed pharmaceutical. After a couple of years of FDA testing. Oh, here's a kick about Garcia. You know that he has probably given the Bureau and probably the regular cops information on criminals. Mm-hmm. If he gets outed as a psi, once it's determined that psi is... Real? It's legitimate. Yeah. He's going to have repercussions after him. He's going to have a crime lord in Chicago looking to put him over the mantle stuffed. He's yeah. going to need the Bureau just to go into hiding. I sort of figured that he tried to capitalize on the Bureau going public and accuse the Bureau of using him as a guinea pig for unregulated pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I like that, too. <laughs> Contact another group that we're going to talk about later about a class action suit against them. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, okay. I I'm see. just kind of left with the impression that considering that in exchange for the psi-deadening drugs... He is required to cooperate three times a year with the Bureau. I think that aside from having a price on his head from the drug lords, he might also be concerned about the Bureau wanting to revise that contract and use him more often now that they don't have to worry so much about them not being discovered. His his talent does have the nasty side effects of causing nosebleeds of everyone within 50 feet. At that point, he becomes no longer, you know, oh, Garcia's around here someplace. My nose is bleeding. That's one of his bad traits is that he does have that wild talent. It's completely uncontrolled. 
he may read the mind of, a, of the cat next to the person you want the, who, who, wants, who wants the mind read. He also causes windows to shatter and people's noses to bleed. Yeah, that too. If he doesn't go into hiding, he's probably going to grab one of those uh, ambulance-chasing law firms. Try to make money while the sun is shining. Ah. All right, well, let's, let's move on to Jeffrey Gladstone, who I'm not sure we should even be talking about because he's out of uh, Toronto, Canada. So I don't know, you know if Canada doesn't come clean with their own agency. I don't know if he would actually, you know. Yeah, that would all hinge on whether Canada does. So I think we can just pass him for the most part. His most important aspect is the fact that he has the drug that allows vampires to control their bloodlust. Well, he doesn't have it. It's a project that he's making, isn't it? No, it says he's instrumental in the drug that allows the vampire to control his or her bloodlust. Okay, the project that isn't done yet is the one that stops a a victim from turning into a vampire if they get the one bite shot. The question here is, is that if he's already given this to the Bureau to manufacture then he doesn't need to be in the picture at all. He's just a researcher and probably would prefer to be left alone. Yeah, considering that every that the under, the, the vampire underground want, wants his head. Yeah, he, considering they <laughs> see him as a traitor, he's got enough problems already. The vampire underground see him as a traitor because he's trying to help humanity. And he's trying to make rules, you know, drink, make drugs to stop vampirism and all that. Oh, yeah, other vampires would want his head on a pike as a warning to others. Right. He's got enough problems already. If he gets outed, that's it. He's done. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to stay under the covers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a question of him getting outed or not. It's He's steadily accumulating more and more. I kind of feel like the question yeah. is, how big of a threat are they right now? Well, eventually he will get outed unless he moves. Eventually the people start realizing... Dr. Gladstone, I've known you for 30 years and you still look a day over 40. He has a close association with both the Bureau, American Bureau, and also the Canadian one. And MI-13, they said, also. the. So I'm sure that, you know, they have a relocation program for him whenever necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see it abnormal at all to change locations every 10 years or so. All right, which then, of course, moves us to our least favorite topic of conversation, IDET. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, who's, who's that? Yeah. Yeah. It's this new game Richard's been working on for the last 35 years. Yeah. He's, he said he's going to publish it right after Hardwired Hinterland. It's nothing important. We can obviously pass right over it. If the bureau gets outed, I didn't make out, well, we can't work with you anymore, at least not officially we we now have to go and say hi to your government in the UN now cuz you're out in the open we might as well say hi we're from another dimension right it's it's not going to be that big of a deal compared to most worlds where they go to where having uh, somebody from another dimension is like wow this is amazing stuff it's like oh that too they're going to have to do that because for their own safety if they get found out by the US government of, of bureau 13 uh, they could be arrested. They're illegal aliens, for one. Uh-huh. They are quite a security risk, so they would definitely have to come clean or stop going there. You know what's going to happen. Nope. They'll, they'll locate every portal in the United States, and they'll put up an INS uh, immigration booth. 
you have to go to customs again in the United States. Oh yeah, and uh, the the NPC I made as the liaison between the bureau and Unida, Colonel Shay Talbert, originally from Victorian Earth. She would have her hands full because now, since she is the liaison between IDED and the Bureau, she will not have a moment's peace because all these people, the world will want to know from her about these this new subset of humanity from another group of dimensions. She basically becomes ambassador Talbot. Yes, she would be. Yes. IDED's ambassador to Earth. Okay, but I thought she was Victorian. Well, she was raised Victorian, went to IDET when she saw that women have it better on Earth Prime. And, and then on a mission, she basically just went native on Bureau 13 because she was fascinated by magic. She made her own meal ticket, essentially. She made her own job of being the liaison officer between Bureau 13 and IDET. This is another Bureau 13 D20 playtesting character I came up with. She wouldn't have a moment's peace because she'd, be, she'd have to become an ambassador. Yeah, actually, when I say booths, no, they'd be more like armored battle stations because the, the first thing you mention is the Mellor. And at that point, they get really paranoid about all those portals. Well, with all the other supernatural that's on Bureau 13 Earth, I'm not sure the Mellor are that big of a deal. Says the man who says, never nerf the Mellor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of getting the feeling that IDET are those people that the Bureau cooperates with, but. Yeah. Behind their backs, they say to each other, oh, it's those guys again. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, considering they got a whole bunch of juicy new tech from them because IDED is through. 30- no, no, no. I get they're cooperating. I get that there's friendly relations. But in instances like this, they're just those guys. They, they do their thing. They're just there. Yeah. They're not even trained in how to identify the supernatural. They'll walk right into a vampire's nest while you can thinking about it because they won't know there's vampires uh, i would say the same thing about the bureau that there are things that they don't know that's why yeah. I, I have shay talbot saying every so often fringe worthy will train on bureau 13 and if a bureau 13 agent is fringe worthy they go to alice springs yeah that exchange is still going on due to colonel talbot well, the number one reason that IDED is in association with Bureau 13 is they're supposedly getting all this information about the supernatural and the nature of magic and all that stuff in exchange for all the uh, technological support that they're providing for Bureau 13. Now, once the Bureau goes public, is IDET going to continue to restrict it's technology only to the Bureau 13 organization, or are they going to make it available to the world at large? Hmm. And if they do that, what's going to happen to that flow of information from the Bureau? Ooh, I stumped them. Knowing how the UN operates, if the Bureau's been outed and the IDIC got outed as well, then, yeah, it's basically go to the U.N. and offer, offer our services. They would have to. That's how the U.N. operates. The U.N. contacting the other U.N. But what do you think would happen as far as having that conduit to uh, information in the, in the Bureau? That special relationship? Yeah. Yeah. You just talked about the United States trying to classify the Bureau as a black project. There's going to be a really big fight you know, amongst the American people to try to keep information that the Bureau has, their records and that stuff public. 
uh, because otherwise it's all going to disappear and never be seen for 100 years. Theoretically, if the Bureau did go public with the additional people that would therefore have access to its records, they might be able to actually create a much better database or perhaps do even better analysis of all the information like magic and everything else because there'd just be more eyes on the project, more hands doing the work. The question is, is that would they be willing to do that? Because if they did reveal all this information, that's kind of like giving everybody a cookbook to make their own nuclear bomb. But there's enough there in other countries that they could... Oh, yeah, those countries would act on IDET coming in accordingly, and it may not be the same as America doing it. Are all folks on B-13 Earth fringe-worthy, or is it just the same, same percentage? No, same as everywhere else. Okay, but you have magic here to, to fix things if you need it. Theoretically. We've never said that magic... A wish. Okay, a wish. So you sell your soul to a demon, maybe he makes you fringe-worthy. Is that possible? If he's a high enough level demon, sure. Yeah, or a djinn. Well, see, that's the thing. is it Djinn who grant wishes, a lot of times it's not I make you something, it's I go do this for you. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I know that the genies are always classically granting wishes, but from the stories, the, the it wasn't... He was like not saying make me prettier or make me stronger. It was like, go get me gold. Yeah. You know, go, go fly me to the other side of the world, that kind of thing. And they'll warp it to their purposes, so they're basically screwing you over the process. Yeah, you'll get what you want, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah, if you're going to ask for sunken treasure, ask for the treasure to be brought to you. But there's enough portals in other countries that there's some incentive there to you know come clean to the UN at that point. But that doesn't mean they have to stop their special relationships with the, the French, the British, and the Canadian... All right, let's move on to another old-time friend of Tritag Games who's been made into a character, Flash Jervis in South Bend, Indiana. So Flash, he has a strange ability. It's, it says that it's telepathy and precognition, but we've also seen him being able to actually detect uh, dimensional rifts and other things like that. Basically, the way he's always been described is he's in tune with the universe. And what we do know from the description is that he actually has made a permanent connection to another astronomer on the other side of the galaxy. No, actually, no, actually another, another galaxy, galaxy altogether. Where they exchange information. He published a book of all the aliens he's come to learn about from his conversations with the space lighthouse keeper. Here's a guy who'd be able to talk about not only the cryptozoology and the strange supernatural, but also all the different possible evolutionary configurations of life that's been discovered throughout an entire galaxy. Because we always ask questions like, well, what would a life form that grew up in a sulfur environment look like? Or what would a creature that has spent its entire life in space, what would be its adaption? He could provide a lot of that information because he would know about you know, races that actually lived in those environments and had matured. He may also have big contact with at least two groups of traveling humans on the, on the, other, side the, the, on the other side of the galaxy. The Canadians, the Canadians and, and the Arganu. That would be nice. I think he would go public, but after he had something to publish. 
Well, astronomers, I'm sure they'd love to be rock stars because a couple of them have done that and have been pretty happy about it. But especially getting information of this type now that the lid is off of it, you know, and the Bureau will allow him to reveal this information, that would be a, a huge boon in getting more and more money for the very work in which he does. I was going to put up the last paragraph. The description says, Flash is also a social magnet for inventors, computer geeks, science fiction fans, and young astronauts. On Tuesday, he tends a bar at a local warning hole. His wife is very British, simply cocks the eyebrow, kicks the eyebrow and says, that's nice. Uh, so he actually is kind of a, a, already a kind of famous, at least in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, that was the worst fake British accent I've ever heard. <laughs> but he, uh, he is kind of famous already. Local celebrity, perhaps? Uh, 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 this is written before the age of what? Facebook and internet video blogs? I Double dang guarantee you he's got a blog. He may have a video blog, for all we know. Again, he works with the Bureau, so there's going to be certain things that he's going to have been asked to keep on the QT. Now he'll really be able to come out. Oh, yeah, he'll he'll be famous, yeah. Well, he's on Facebook already. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I see his post every so often. But, yeah, he'll end up really just, he'll end up being the next Carl Sagan as far as, he'll be like, He'll be famous like Neil deGrasse Tyson is now. Or Michio Kaku. No. What? No, he won't be the next Carl Sagan. There, there is no next Carl Sagan. There will never no. be anyone like Carl Sagan. Sagan. Flash Jarvis <laughs> will be like Flash Jarvis. Yes. He's, he's not going to be a replacement or a next version of anybody. That's kind of an insult to... Yeah, technically, he'd blow them out of the water because he's actually had actual contact with alien life. All right, move along to, and I'm going to hand this back to you, Trav. Uh, Mama Lasagna Knot. Oh, yes, Lasagna Knot, my co-worker of the past 15 years. I decided to make a, well, somewhat tongue-in-cheek character of her. Basically, the Supernatural took out her husband and their three daughters, so with a baseball bat that Jeffrey had, she had it blessed by Father McGarn, who we will discuss later, and decided, I'm going to hunt the supernatural. She's an ally of Team Candlestick, being in the Detroit area. If she, if she were to be outed that you know she hunts the supernatural, well, after the people that know her think that she's crazy and the Bureau would come out and say, no, we, we, she's sane, we cleared her, she's okay. She'd probably, well, whatever would cause the revelation, she'd probably be busy trying to fight it. Is it possible she might also find herself on the bad end of the legal system for killing all those those people suffering from partially dead syndrome? <laughs> Trust me, I know Sone. They, they, they're welcome to try. <laughs> well, the running joke is that at the if you read the last blurb of Mama Lasagna's uh, bit, that she's invited to Bureau Barbecue. Sone makes a, mi a mean rib dinner. She would actually sell it, you know, take our orders and bring them in on a Friday and, like, cook them the night before. I see her after everything dies down due to her fame opening up a rib joint in Detroit. <laughs> I do. I see her doing that. Just get that recipe and just go into business. Say, yeah, I'll do it, sure. Be kind of busy dealing with whatever it is that caused the Bureau to be outed. Just if it were, like, you know, supernatural invasion... She'd be just swinging that slugger for everything it's worth. Yeah. I see the character as a modern-day sword saint. Got the, the blessed bat, 
pretty religious woman. She she has an unshakable faith in the Almighty. Oh yes, yeah. So she would be considered in a way a modern day paladin. Oh, she, she can turn undead with her baseball bat, in more ways than one. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Sohn, I would see her, and and I do. I would see her after everything dies down, and the bureau is out, and you know the recruitment drive blows up. She'd retire and open a rib shack in Detroit. The profile that Not has doesn't particularly leave me with an impression that she's going to have much of a reaction for or against the Bureau going public. She seems very on her own. She, I, I almost want to say that she's kind of functioning on revenge. That she well, yeah. lost her family to these zombies and she's made it her life mission to kill zombies. And she's willing to work with the Bureau to meet that end, but I don't think she'd proactively care about the Bureau going public one way or the other. Her concern is just doing what she does. If she picks her own targets, then that means that sooner or later she's going to pick somebody who's a zombie is going to come forward to try to live a public lifestyle and might get taken down by her and there might be some legal repercussions as a result. But there are different kinds of undead. There are vampires, yeah. there are zombies, there are ghouls. Does she just have a, a an instant dislike of all of them? Or well, is it focused specifically on zombies? Well, no, it's pretty much the supernatural in general. But yeah, undead have a particular thing for her sights just because of what happened to her. So... With that in mind, I would kind of think that the Bureau going public may be something she's not happy about because she's going to be encountering more supernatural people as they try to come out of the closet, as it were. And there'll be people out there, you know, wanting to talk to her about, yo, you sure everyone you killed, everybody, zombies you killed were actually zombies? Oh, God. No, 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 yeah. no. The solicitations. Come by my house and kill some zombies? Jeez. Knock, knock, knock. Excuse me, Mrs. Knott, have you accepted zombies in your life today? <laughs> yeah, that'll go over well. Whack! <laughs> are you talking voodoo zombies? You know, voodoo zombies, I can see being, uh, being missionaries. Because they're religious. Bureau 13 having to out themselves due to some major catastrophe would mean that it would ripple out among those it works with. Those who are their allies, those who are their enemies, and those who are straddling the fence and work with the Bureau for their own motives. We have just begun to explore how the repercussions of Bureau 13 outing themselves have affected various people. We hope that as we explore more of these, we gain more insight into those people as well as the Bureau's own views and plans due to having to reveal themselves to the world at large, and as well as the things that they have been hiding for the past 150 years from the American public and the world. Please, if you have any questions about how this would occur, or your own suggestions, Please contact us on the Facebook group Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere. 
fans of the TriTech podcast at TriTechGamers.com, our Yahoo groups, and of course on TriTechSystems.Podbean.com, where you get this podcast itself. We would love to hear from all of you. We also have the TriTech Games Google Plus community as well. Oh, yes, thank you, John. Yes, thank you for enlightening me to that. Yes, there as well. Please, we love feedback from you people. While you're there on your computer typing uh, th- this feedback, go over to iTunes and leave a review. We are available on iTunes as well. Please, I believe you would get us by searching for Fringeworthy. Or TriTech Games. So please, those aforementioned means of communication, let us know your views on how, if the Bureau had to out themselves to the world at large, how you would feel it would affect them, the world, and those that they interact with on a basis of friend, ally, or neutral entity. So for all of us here at the TriTech Games Podcast, until next time. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.